Are you a man looking for an intensive program to help you overcome sexually addictive behaviors? Gateway to Freedom is your answer. Gateway to Freedom is a three-day workshop for men seeking to overcome any destructive sexual habits. Whether married, single, or divorced, Gateway to Freedom will help men regain hope for a new life of purity and real contentment. The workshop is conducted by experts in the field of sexual addiction recovery with decades of combined experience. Read testimonials of workshop alumni at gatewaymen.com. Get all the info and register online at gatewaymen.com or call 1-800-49-PURITY. Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. We're glad to have you here with us. Uh, my name is Jonathan, and we actually have a guest on the line with us, uh, Camille Cates. And so, Camille, thank you for being with us today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Yeah, so I would love for our listeners to just to kind of get to know you uh, before we try to dive into this topic of dealing with uh, with young people and some of that kind of stuff. So why don't you just introduce yourself to our listeners and kind of give a little background of of how you kind of moved into this area of ministry with uh, young people. Sure. Um, so my background is I am the Assistant Director for Healing Hearts Ministries International. Uh, it's a counseling and discipleship ministry. And uh, how I got into the youth aspect of discipleship and uh, counseling is um, I married a youth pastor. Uh, we've been married for, gosh, I think 23 years. We celebrated this year. And so I always say, um, I would, God didn't call me into youth ministry. He married me into mm-hmm. youth ministry. Um, that's not what I thought I would end up doing, but I'm so thankful because I love teenagers. I have a heart for them. Um, God has um, blessed me to keep around some of my teen days and memories um, to help me relate I think to teenagers and remember what the struggle was like and the struggle is real, um, mm-hmm. as they say. So, um, uh, beyond youth ministry, we had about 15 years working in full-time youth ministry together. And, um, in addition to that, uh, I, I was, had been volunteering for the ministry for healing hearts since 1999, um, which is not just a youth ministry. It's a, it was actually, uh, started as a post-abortion trauma ministry and developed into a discipleship ministry um, dealing with various traumas. And, uh, but I was also at one point working uh, on staff with our local pregnancy care center doing abstinence education in the public school system. So I did that for about five years and really um, learning some of the medical facts, um, knowing the biblical truth about God's design for sexuality, I just really had a passion for um, getting some good answers from God's word for our young people. Because after being in youth ministry, I'm like, they have a lot of holes in their thinking and their theology, and we need to help them. Uh, after working in, in Healing Hearts for so long uh, with you know women in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond, who were struggling with things from their past, including sexual sin or sexual abuse, um, 
I was passionate and, and felt the Lord really impressing on, on my heart. We need to get these young people good answers from God's word because they're in there. But a lot of times young people and especially their parents don't know where to find them, how to help them. Mm-hmm. And so um, about five or six years ago, we authored a youth curriculum for young women um, called First Love, Embracing a Love That Lasts. And for the boys, we just published something this year called The Fight of Your Life, Living for God's Glory. And it's really all about making Christ first. And uh, But we do touch on sexuality and God's design for, for sex and marriage and relationships and help them navigate and parents to navigate with them through those things. So that's a little yeah. bit. Well, and, and I always like to say, you know, discipleship is is what we're called to do. And that has to then address at some point the realities of our sexuality. But somehow a lot of times in the church, we disconnect those two where uh, I I love to ask people this question just to see how they respond. So how does the sex, how does sex connect to the gospel of Jesus? And, you know, Christians look at you like, what are you talking about? There's no connect, you know? And so um, I would love to hear from you because I think our listeners, you know, you've obviously spent a lot of time, just being immersed with young people. And I would love to know what have you seen maybe that's changed over the last 20 years in terms of the, the kinds of questions that young people are asking, the kinds of issues surrounding sexual brokenness. Have you seen changes? Uh, I mean, we know that the fundamental core issues of our sinfulness and brokenness as human beings is, goes all the way back to uh, the beginning. But I think maybe the manifestations or the way they present in culture do sometimes change from season to season. I just wondered if you've seen changes and maybe what what the conversations look like today versus maybe 20 years ago. Yeah, I I think there's a huge difference, you know, and and we go along with the culture, even uh, in a church is influenced by the culture, even though we're supposed to have the opposite effect. Um, Whereas the topic used to kind of be shied and quieted um, in church circles and in the culture even was a little bit more um, shy and quieted, you know, 20 years ago. And um, as things, as the culture has become more open and brash on the subject, um, when you talk to teenagers, sometimes they can have a tone of that same openness and brashness and really coming against, well, why, why is it um, it's, it's having sex outside of marriage wrong. Well, what is marriage? You know, our culture is trying now to redefine marriage and mm-hmm. redefine gender. And those aren't things that we were talking about 20 years ago. Um, you know, when I was in school, a guy was a guy and a girl was a girl. And um, we were seeing hints in the early 80s of some of those um, transgendered. I remember, um, gosh, I was probably in elementary school seeing Boy George um, and culture club coming out on MTV and thinking, is that a guy? Is that a girl? Like what, you know, what's going on here? But, um, now it's becoming very commonplace for our young people. And so to give them a message that says, you know, God's word clearly defines these things when culture doesn't, um, it really causes them to question and to confuse and sometimes to come up against it. So that's kind of the conversations that I'm seeing and having with teenagers. Are you seeing that there is a, there's maybe more of a willingness or less? I don't know. What, what, what is sort of the uh, availability or accessibility that you have with teens 
regarding the subject? I mean, do they, are they more willing to talk about it than adults? Are they less willing? I mean, um, what do you see in terms of like just the openness regarding just talking about sex and their bodies and um, you know, that's, that's a really good question. I think it depends on, you know, peer to peer. I think they're very open about talking uh, about those things. In fact, um, I didn't mention this, but I have three teenagers. Um, one is uh, about to be an adult. She's about to turn 20. So she's in, in college and university. So I'm getting to enter her world too and hearing some interesting conversations at, at that age level. And then, um, we have two sophomores in high school, a boy and a girl, and um, you know they are gracious enough to let me enter into their conversations. So we have very open conversations about that, but I think it's because I was intentional, my husband and I were intentional from the beginning to build the foundation and create the openness. Mm -hmm. So unless that is in place between um, the teens and adults, I don't know that they're going to be very open still to talk about it um, unless they're very passionate and have adopted an agenda. Then in church youth group, you know, when something is, is um, laid out as a biblical truth on this topic, if they're opposed to that, sometimes they'll be very passionate. And it usually re relates back to a relative or a friend who may know Mm -hmm. is having struggles and they want to just love them. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but the culture is telling them, this is how you love them. And God's word says something different. So those, those kind of ideas are really clashing when there are conversations, if they're not open from the beginning. So let's unpack just some of the common, you know, presenting issues that we see among youth, and it's not exclusive to youth. Obviously, we're seeing it through the entire culture. But I think, again, the maybe the the impressionable state that young people are naturally in. I mean, when you're 12, 15, 18 years old, you're in far more uh, in a far more impressionable state than maybe a 40 year old in terms of being influenced in a direction. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the most common things. I mean, we have the gender issue. Uh, we certainly have the LGBT um, issues going on. We have pornography. So let's kind of go through these and and how do you address these with youth um, from a biblical perspective when maybe some of those youth are saying, hey, don't don't even start with God with me. You know, like how do you even begin the conversation when a lot of these youth are saying, don't bring a moral argument to me about sex and sexuality. Um, and yet, you know, we've got to get there at some point. We've got to get to the idea that the designer, God, made us male and female. So how do you tackle, let's start with the issue of pornography. Yeah. How do you address that and begin to maybe help young people understand that from a biblical perspective of how to address the issue of porn? Yeah, and I would say this probably all across the board because we're, we're dealing with sexuality. And so um, I'm in the camp of um, refusing to put down the Bible uh, to talk about these topics. Um, and, and a lot of times you can enter the conversation graciously with a teen or a young adult by saying, you know, we've got to come to understand one another. 
And because this is my core belief and this is what it's based on, I can't just put that away. Just like I'm not going to ask you to put away, you know, what you believe. I want to hear what you believe and why you believe that we have to have a good conversation. So I would start there um, as, as our basis for uh, talking with them. But in, in coming to them with a biblical belief, we have got to talk about design. Um, a lot of times, uh, sometimes I'll use this example when I was uh, teaching in the public schools, uh, just the illustration of, of fire. And I'll say, is fire good or bad? And you need to ask those thought-provoking questions because it makes them think. And so, you know, you're sitting there watching them think through things, you know, you're good, bad. And I'm like, oh, okay, so I'm hearing both. Well, what makes it good? What, what makes it bad? And so... Um, we relate that then to sex. You know, sex can be good or bad depending on how you use it. Um, but then we talk about the design and the purpose for sexuality and that there's a designer. And so if there's a designer behind something, we need to know what his purpose was in designing it. Design always has purpose and function. Mm -hmm. so that's kind of the logical, biblical um, way that I approach it with teens. So for, for pornography, you know, we need to look at, they hear a lot of times um, from the church, sex is bad. Now, I don't know that anybody's saying that necessarily, but that's, that's how they're interpreting the information. Sure, yeah. So a lot of times I'll tell them sex is good. Like I'm married, I'll tell you sex is great. And they right. just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she said that, you know, but um, we talk about how within God's design, he wants it to be good for us. And for a lot of times we'll talk about, when we talk about pornography, I'll say, you know, you're not going against your design. You were designed to look at and desire someone sexually in marriage. Yeah, we had a had a hiccup there. So let's go back to the design issue and talk about design because you were mentioning about, you know, fire, which is a great example, I think. A lot of times when I use that example of fire, I'll say, you know, um, listen, the fire isn't the issue. Fire is just doing what it was designed to do. The the environment is what will determine whether or not fire doing what it was designed to do will be destructive or you know good in the sense of the outcome so it's right. kind of like when people when we think about our sexuality and our bodies you know listen i tell guys all the time you're 15 years old you see somebody beautiful biology is going to have a response you have a response that doesn't make therefore your body bad or wrong. It's the way God designed your body. Now you have to determine how am I going to respond right. to the realities of how my body has been created, recognizing that the, the way that, I, that God designed me to act on those natural desires is in a very specific context. Right. And so that's a, that's a really important thing. We we'll talk more about design and how you, how you approach that conversation and really um, you know, help, help young people think about that from a design perspective. Yeah, I, I think it's great. I love that um, 
you know, science is God's creation. So the more that we learn about how he designed us um, is so interesting. So when we, even just looking at the brain and how um, it's designed, when we build those habits of looking at somebody sexually, now if that's your spouse, that's a great design and it has a great function because when you're apart from each other, then you remember each other and you long for each other. But a lot of times I'll talk about if, um, with a young person, if they've been building the habit of looking at pornography and they're looking at one person and another person and another person, and all of a sudden they get married one day, they have trained themselves. Their mind is going to want to look at a variety of people. Mm-hmm. And so that goes against God's design for the covenant and the commitment of marriage. So they need to see the, the goodness of God's design so that they will desire that. So they would, would want um, the benefit of that, but they also need to know the consequences of it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we're really doing them a disservice if we don't give them both um, and promote both with them uh, equally. So uh, design is really important. Yeah, and I think too, one of the things, you know, I, I, have, no, I have no fear of science. I'm like, I, I have no fear of that. I'm not concerned about the things that are discovered because I'm like, hey, whatever can be discovered is discovered within God's creation. That's right. So it's all ultimately going to point to Him, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not bothered by that. What's interesting to me is how, you know, it's almost like science is always just catching up yes. to what is what is true. And one of the things that's interesting to me is while we may know anecdotally, and I think we even know almost intuitively that this idea of multiplicity, multiplying and, and, and spreading ourselves out sexually does not help to enhance intimacy with one person. Right. The interesting thing is science is beginning to show us that. Right. Uh, when even things like um, now there's something called PIED, which is called porn-induced erectile dysfunction. Yes, and it's yes. common, it's becoming more and more prevalent and common in, in men under the age of 30. And they're saying, hey, all this exposure and looking at pornography is actually preventing you from being able to be sexually intimate with one person. So it's like, there's, I like to marry the, the science with the biblical because it's not going to, it's not ultimately going to contradict. No, uh, and no. a lot of times I think young people, and you can probably speak to this more, is a lot of times just in the culture we're in, and I'm with you. I'm never going to close the Bible to these issues. But sometimes I think the, the on-ramps for people to get to those biblical truths, we have to be willing to sort of say, hey, where is this person in their lives? And what would they be willing to listen to that's still truth? Because again, I believe that truth is all pointing to God. If something is true, it will point to God. Um, and so therefore it's like, maybe they're willing to look at statistics. Maybe they're willing to look at brain science. Maybe they're willing to look at some of these medical reports. Again, all of which I think can lead to then having those moral and biblical conversations. But then what do you do with the person, with the young person that is saying, um, I'm not going to be antagonistic. I'm not going to push back on your world Christian worldview, but I do wonder how does it actually practically apply to the struggle I'm having with pornography or the struggle I'm actually having, a real struggle that I'm having with same-sex attractions or with feeling like I'm a girl when I'm a boy? You know, mm-hmm. how do you bring the, 
these sometimes what people talk about just theological concepts or just spiritual concepts into the real world of young people's struggle? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And it, you know, I wish that there was a quick answer. Um, there's not. And that's why we wrote a, a, a curriculum for young people, because I feel like they, and they can only take it, we can only take so much information and bite size. And it, but we have to have a good foundation to build upon and, and lay upon that. So, you know, it's really helping them understand from the beginning that they were created for somebody other than themselves. So mm. pornography and a lot of these sexual things are really all about me. And when I counsel, I don't care what issue it's on. Usually the problem is people are having, um, they're struggling with self-centeredness. And um, when they come from a self-centered, man-centered theology, they're always going to think about them, and that's always going to be the problem. So it's helping them to understand, you know, God created you for a purpose. So when you're serving yourself continually, continually, it's only satisfying for a little while. You were created for something more. And, and when you're struggling with gender and, and those kind of things, we have to go back to the beginning. I love, love, love the book of Genesis. I feel like um, not only does it lay out the creation of the world, it lays out creation um, in human behavior mm -hmm. and, and why we do what we do. And especially in Genesis 3 when it talks about the fall, everybody knows that this world is broken. They may not be able to verbalize that, um, but they know that something's wrong. And so when I, if I had a discussion with somebody who was struggling with their gender, um, say, why are you, you know, why are you struggling? You're struggling with it. You admit that there's a struggle. Can we talk about why I think you might have a struggle with that? And to know too that, that, um, they are more than just their gender and their identity. They're an image bearer of God. I talk about that a lot with students. We were created to bear and promote an image of someone greater than ourselves. And so, um, so many times people get stuck on identity. I, you know, in a lot of counseling situations, some of the, um, the people who, who are struggling with gender issues, um, I've met some that are adopted. I've met some that have had sexual abuse in their past. And those are other things that mess with your identity. Mm -hmm. And so to me, there's a, there's a common thread in identity. So if, if identity is really the issue, I have to go back to the gospel. I have to go back to their identity of they were created to be an image bearer of God, but something's broken. Yeah. Bear with you what that brokenness is. Yeah. So, so I'm hearing some key things that you're bringing out here. Obviously design is important for understanding sexuality. Identity is important for sexuality, both of which have been given to us. So it's not something that we can sort of conjure up and create ourselves, which, which is, I think, where a lot of that confusion comes from. People say, find yourself. And I'm always like, find myself? Are you kidding me? I mean, I, I didn't create myself. How am I supposed to find myself? You know, right. I didn't originate by myself. I didn't originate from myself. Right. So therefore, I believe, I personally believe the way God designed generations to work in terms of parents and grandparents and children and all of that is that from God, identity was spoken into Adam and Eve, and then parents are meant to then speak that identity into their children. And so the idea is it all ultimately is, a, is sourced from God. Mm -hmm. But I think to abandon our children 
And I'm using that as the collective sense in the world to abandon our children to themselves, to find their identity. I almost feel like that's abusive because it's saying you're asking that child to do something they have no capacity to really do well. No. And it's also giving them, I think, a false notion of where identity comes from. Like it's something that just comes from within themselves Mm -hmm. when in fact we have a creator who is ultimately the one that spoke identity and says, I'm giving you value and maleness and femaleness to be the reflection of my image, which is ultimately the source of good. Right. Right. Yeah, I agree. I I think that, um, you know, for me, uh, I grew up in a Christian home, um, but I felt like discipleship was very much lacking after I got saved at age 12. You know, I mean, my discipleship consisted of going to church and, you know, whether it was Sunday school and reading the Bible, um, application was very much lacking. And we're called to be doers of the word, not hearers only, but nobody was teaching me how to do, like, how do you do this thing? And, you know, you're going, you're in your teen years and you're going to school and there's all these, you know, relationships and people and pressure on you. And so if you don't have a parent who's continually teaching you your identity, is in who God made you to be. You don't know who that is, but the Bible will reveal that to you. And, and God's spirit, you know, when he saves you, will, will reveal that to you. God searches the heart. God knows the heart. And so um, I think that does take a lot of pressure off. And because teenagers, we know that age is really about they're trying to figure out who they are. Yeah. And they, you're right. They, they're not creating themselves and like the culture teaches them. So, so let's talk about one other issue. We've got a few minutes left here because I think obviously design is important. Identity is important. But then I think there is another aspect of this that I think is super important that a lot of times we just are afraid to talk about because it's something we don't talk about in our culture. And that is the reality of our accountability then before God in how we steward that image bearing even in in terms of our sexual behavior and really every behavior that we do. So how do you address that with teenagers who are very independent minded in our Western culture of like, don't you dare, you know, tell me there's some kind of objective standard that I'm going to be held to by this, you know, mean God up there. So how do you address the issue of accountability um, when it comes to sexual behaviors? That that is a loaded question. That is a a deep question. Um, But it's good. They, they really need to know who God is. Um, so we talked about identity. Identity is really knowing who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love the attributes of God. And I think um, a lot of people's misconceptions about who they are is because they have their own ideas of who he is. So, um, you know, going back to his word about that, but even in specific, I love sexuality because it's so intimate and personal. And I think God created it, I think we see from Scripture that he created it um, to be a deep, intimate knowing of one person mm-hmm. for life. And that is supposed to be a mere reflection of our deep, intimate knowing of Christ and him knowing us. As Christ um, talks about the bride being his, his church um, and that exclusivity, which I think, you know, if we teach them the reason why, you know, but God wants to know them personally. I think the word um, in Hebrew is yada. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. to know them. And there was another word that was used just for having sex with somebody, and it was very impersonal. And so for them to know there's a personal God who loves you 
who made you for himself. I go to, I go to verses like, um, we are God's workmanship mm -hmm. in Christ. Just, they need to know that they have value because someone outside of them gave them that value. Otherwise they're always looking to other people or to themselves to, to have value. And they're always going to come up short because yeah. other people always value themselves higher than right. you. And right. then you're always measuring yourself by other people instead of the one who made you for himself. And I think that's beautiful. I think what it does, it, it causes a person to realize, hey, there is, there is an accountability before God, right? But when you get to know his character, you realize that you move so far beyond the, the punitive aspect of, you know, stewardship and accountability to realize that where God wants to lead us through the, um, the self-control and the, through the fruit of the Spirit is to a place of intimacy Yes. with him. And so our accountability is moving us toward intimacy, not just a, a, a removal of punishment. Right. And I think that's instead so key. Instead of being obligatory, like I'm obliged to this God, I'm accountable right. to him. You have a delight and a desire. The Bible says that Christ's love compels us. I, I want to obey Christ. I want to live according to his design because I understand that he's, he gave his life for me. And there's beauty in that. And if we don't help our young people understand that that God is the God is the definition of love itself, and that Christ showed the ultimate display of love, they will never they'll never get it because mm. all of us desire that deep. Like I want somebody to know me. I want somebody to love me. I want somebody to accept me. Um, and then we know that God, you know, we love because He first loved us. So they're never going to reciprocate that love to God until they know him mm -hmm. um, personally through Christ first. So we always have to keep the gospel at the forefront, even as we talk about all these issues with them. Yeah. And I think that's an important place to kind of land this because I'm sure there, there's plenty of times, listen, this, we're not going to wrap a neat little bow on this. And the reality is the people that we're going to be engaging with, there are some people that are just going to openly pursue um, behaviors and lifestyles outside of God's design. And I think it's easy sometimes as Christians for us to create a very distinct us versus them categorical line. And then, then what that communicates is not the love of Jesus, but it communicates the, the judgment of God, you know? And it's like, I think it is important, especially with youth, because again, they're impressionable to be able to say, I know that no matter how confused you might get, even no matter how far you go down that trail of pursuing these things that are outside of God's design, that he still loves you. Yeah. And so that, that for us then to reflect that, I think is what ultimately will build the relationships that then give us um, kind of the relational equity to be able to then speak into their lives from a place of, of love and truth that yeah. hopefully at some point they might go, you know, I'd like to hear more about what you're, what you're talking about. So I, I would love for you to let our listeners know where they can uh, learn more about the curriculum and the materials and just get more information uh, regarding what we've been talking about here. Yeah, great, Jonathan. Thank you. Um, any of the listeners can go to healinghearts.org and uh, click on the Get Help Now tab. And whether you're an adult, a man or woman who's had an abortion in your past or other sexual sin struggles, uh, or youth. Our youth curriculum is also listed under that. You can go to healinghearts.org to get help now tab and we'd be happy to, to talk with you further. 
Well, Camille, obviously we only scratched the surface, but I hope this was helpful to our listeners. Thank you so much for just your willingness to, to plant yourself in the middle of uh, young people and help them understand these things. And thanks for being with us today. My pleasure, Jonathan. Thank you. And of course, listeners, we're always glad that you're here with us and we look forward to having you back here again next week on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.